Good morning. Next Sunday is uh, going to be our Baptism Sunday. And I'm going to read a verse to you here from Acts 18, verse 8. The synagogue ruler and his household believed in the Lord. And many Corinthians who heard, speaking of Paul, who heard him, believed and were baptized. I want to encourage you to, uh, if you've never been baptized, uh, I want to encourage you to consider and uh, think about and be studying baptism next week. And uh, especially, I, I guess, one of the main things I want you to hear from Acts, there are actually about 11 accounts in Acts of people who believed, and after they believed, they were baptized. And uh, so this morning, I want you to hear, as we've done last week and we'll do again next week, I want you to hear a short testimony from a person about her baptism. And this is Sarah Sperry, and she's going to share with you this morning uh, about when she got baptized. And I'd like for you guys to give her a big gateway welcome. Would you guys do that? family. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm not a speaker, and this is not my favorite thing to do, but most of you are friends and family, so bear with me. (laughs) Um, I, John asked me to tell you about choosing to be baptized as an adult, so I wanted to give you a little history. Um, I'm going to read some and ad-lib some, but anyway. My story goes back to my Episcopal roots. I was raised in the Episcopal Church and was baptized as a small child. So were my four siblings. At age 12, I was confirmed, which was meant to be my personal affirmation of what my parents intended for me at baptism. Although I'm thankful that my parents wanted all of us children to be part of Christ's community, I feel like my personal relationship with Christ didn't begin until years later. My childhood baptism and confirmation were more of a family tradition than a personal commitment. I did the same for my two children. They were baptized as small children in the Episcopal Church, again, It was more of a family tradition than a true promise from us as parents and their godparents. We promised to raise those children in a Christian way, and we did, sort of. (laughs) Even though I had been very active in our church, that included regular Sunday services, youth choir, youth group, church camp, Looking back on it, now this is my personal experience, I think it was mostly socialization. (laughs) I was admittedly a lukewarm believer. Years went by, but I knew something was missing. I became a mother for the first time, and that brought me much closer to God. And being blessed with a second healthy child gave me more appreciation of our God, but I still was not a committed Christian, and I knew it. I would observe my mother and her faith, and I knew that I did not have that kind of faith. More years went by, 
Looking back, I understand that God was patiently waiting. He was tapping me on the shoulder. Finally, my own son, whom a lot of you know, became a Christian and was very involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, or what they call crew today. Um, he simply asked me, Mom, wouldn't you like to give your life to Christ? And I knew my answer was yes. From that time on, I was taking baby steps in my walk with Christ, but I wanted to do more. At Mountain Family Fellowship, Armin and I went, I think it was in 2004, but I can't be sure. I decided that I wanted to be baptized as, a, as an adult believer in Christ. A week or so later, I was baptized here at Gateway by John Duncan in the presence of my two children and a few friends. Um, we celebrated by going to Disco Taco, <laughs> Armin's favorite restaurant at the time. We went to eat together, my wet hair and all. And I'm a fairly private person, so when Jimmy Sportsman announced to the whole church body that I had been baptized a few days before, I was surprised. And Gail Sportsman whispered to me that I could not expect to keep something like a baptism to myself. And she was right. And the love from this church simply flowed all the more. <laughs> I'm still in the infant stage of my Christianity, it seems. There's so much to learn. But the more I do learn, the more I believe Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know if any of you uh, maybe are considering the possibility of being baptized and you might feel a little nervous or a little scared. There's uh, uh, another lady this in the past 12 months. Her name is Grace, and I, I didn't see her today. I don't think she's here. Is Grace, are you here? And I didn't see you. She's, uh, Grace is in probably in uh, her late 70s or early 80s, and uh, the, earlier this year she called and said, John, you said you would baptize people. Uh, just any time, you know, day or night. I said, sure. And she said, well, I want to get baptized tomorrow. And I said, okay, that's fine. She came down in the middle of the day, and Barbara and I were here with her, and uh, we talked about baptism and talked about uh, what the scriptures say about baptism. And she said, that's great. I want to do this. There's just one problem. And I said, what's that? And she said, I'm terrified of water. I said, really? And so, anyhow, long story short, uh, we managed to get her to go into this baptistry here, and this... Uh, fairly frail older woman held on with a death grip to the sides of the baptistry and I thought hey no problem I mean I'm in the prime of my life look at me you know I could baptize this lady she's a uh, you know she's small and so you know I, she confessed her uh, faith in Christ and I started to put her under the water she was not letting go and I'm like, well, no problem, you know, I mean, like I said, I'm strong, and I just, you know, just a little bit, I, I couldn't get the lady to go down, I had to, I, I finally had to really put my weight on, kind of on her, and press her under the water, and it filled up the waders with water when I leaned over. Point being, 
Afterwards, this lady was so thankful. She said, I have gone decades without doing what I know that God wants me to do. And, and what a relief. And Barbara and I both saw it that day. It was really beautiful. It was a really neat day. So I want you to know today, right here on the front row, I have some studies about baptism. If there's some of you who are thinking about being baptized as an adult, you've never done that before, and you think, I- I'd like to at least think about that. I'd like to pray about it. I'd like to study about it. I've got these here. You're willing to take one. I'm glad to talk with you. Our elders will talk with you. And uh, next Sunday, at this point, we have nobody that signed up to be baptized for Baptism Sunday. That's okay. If nobody gets baptized, it's not about next Sunday. It's about you. We care about you and your heart and where you're at with Christ. But if somebody does want to get baptized next Sunday, if you want to get baptized today, we'll do that today too. We'll do that anytime. We're in a series of lessons uh, called Encountering Jesus. And it's uh, 12 weeks, uh, 12 people who encounter Jesus and the impact he had on them. And then we're asking Christ, as the body of Christ, would you help us to go out of these doors and would you help us to have an impact on people the way Christ did? Let's pray and then we'll read our text. God, thank you. Thank you for... Sarah, thank you for her story. Thank you for the many stories in this room of people who want to follow you, people who love you, people who know how much you love them, people who have named Christ, and people who uh, are, are just, just as Sarah said, who are taking baby steps along the way. That's each of us, God. And we thank you that you're patient with us, and we invite you this morning, right now, right this moment, work in our hearts. Each of us needs this spiritual food we're about to read in your word. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to read from Luke, and our text is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Here's the story. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. What a fascinating story, what a beautiful story on many different counts. And I guess I would just ask you, probably everybody in the room, when we read this story, we would say the most obvious point that we need to learn from this story is that we should be what? Thankful, that's exactly right. We should be thankful we all know that. This story is a good reminder. Your card, your mission card that the kids handed out to you, hopefully you have one of those, it, it gives you a mission should you choose to accept it, and that is to be thankful. An opportunity to remember to thank people and maybe send out some thank you notes this week to some people that you are grateful for. I will tell you this, that I'm not going to talk about thankfulness very much today, uh, because partly because in January... I'm going to challenge you to do something. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, in January, this is the challenge that's coming. You might want to skip all four weeks in January, because here it is. Are you ready? In, in January, we're going to study about being thankful people. And I'm going to challenge you in January to think of and write down on paper 1,000 things that you're thankful for. 
Some of you might want to get a head start, okay? Because that's going to be hard. That's going to that's be hard for some of you because you maybe don't think about that very often. But I'm going to challenge our church, and I think this experience, as a matter of fact, I know all of us who choose to join in that experience of writing down things we're thankful for up to a thousand or more, it's going to change us. It's going to change our lives. We're not going to be the same people when that's over. And so I'm encouraging you now to begin to start thinking right now about the things that you're thankful for every single day. I've got three quick points that I want to make today. Here they are from this text. The first one is this. Jesus helps people who never say thank you. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus helps people who never say thank you? How many lepers did he heal? Ten. How many said thank you? One. So did he say, oh, if I take it back, I'm not giving the nine? No. He helped all ten. Jesus is helping people who never say thank you. Look at these two verses about our God. Here's the first one. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to who? To all. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. This is who our God is. Look at this, what Jesus said in Matthew. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus said, I want to ask you, all of you people here today that are followers of me to do something. I want you to love your enemies. Let me ask something. Would God ask us to do something that he would be unwilling to do? No. God loves his enemies. God sends God, God sends good. God sends compassion. God shines his light into the darkness of people who don't even know that he's there and certainly aren't thanking him. God pours blessings out on people who think they're earning it all themselves and he just keeps pouring them and pouring them and raining down blessings in their life on his enemies, on people who will never say thank you. That's who our God is is it's so important for us to remember when we read these stories about jesus and the things he does we're actually seeing what god does did you know that because jesus is god he's the perfect picture of god he is god and so that's how god treats us he helps people who never say thank you and i just have for to for a moment ask you to make the application in your own life what about you do you know anyone in your life who is ungrateful Think for just a second. I bet it won't take long. <laughs> I like that, James. James said, me. Yeah, we are sometimes ungrateful. That's exactly right. You have anybody who's ungrateful for the things you do in their life? Can you think of a person like that? Usually it's the people who we're closest to. Usually it's the people we're around every day. So I might ask you, wives, will you show kindness to a husband who never says thank you for all the ways you take care of him. Husbands, will you continue to serve your wife even though she might not acknowledge how hard you work to pay the bills for the family? What about you parents? Will you keep pouring blessings into the lives of your children even though it seems like all they do is complain? Because when you do those things, guess who you're like? I like the story of about a mother who was preparing some pancakes for her sons. She had two sons, Kevin five and Ryan three, and as three and five-year-olds often do, they're arguing with each other over who's going to get the first pancake, right? Who gets, I get the first, no, I get the first one. 
The mother saw the opportunity for a life lesson right here. Oh, this is beautiful. This will be great. If Jesus were sitting here, she said, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can just wait. So Kevin turned to his younger brother and he said, that's a good idea. Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> right? Isn't that what we do? Oh, we hear this stuff and we want to apply it somewhere else. But how about if we try applying this to our own life and realize every time we give and we care and we show compassion and we continue to love people who are ungrateful every single time, we're being Jesus in this world. The second point is this. Jesus treats these lepers as cleansed already. He treats them as cleansed already. The reason I say that is because in the text he says, go show yourself to the priest. They say, hey, Jesus, we need help. And he says, he, he doesn't say, well, come here and I'll heal you. Or you're healed. Or, okay, you go dip in the water and you'll be fine. He doesn't say any of that. Jesus, help us. And he just says, go to the priest and go show yourself. Well, they knew exactly what he's talking about. We may not, but they knew he's talking about Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus 14 gives very specific things that a person who has a skin disease is supposed to do whenever they're what? healed when they're healed they go to the priest the priest examines them and they offer a sacrifice of thanks to god and after seven days then they can move back in with their family that's what leviticus 14 says and jesus just says go show yourself to the priest he's saying you are already cleansed go the empirical evidence on the outside would suggest otherwise they look at themselves and they think i, I don't think i am i don't think i'm well why are you telling me to go see the priest? This is going to be embarrassing when I get there and I'm not healed. But these ten take Jesus at his word and they go. They start walking that way. And surprise, surprise, Jesus was right. And it's the same for you and I. He tells us, I'm talking to all of you who are followers of Jesus right now. Anybody in the room who is a follower of Jesus, this is what God says about you and what you are already not what he's telling you to be or not what you're gonna be someday but this is what you are now are you ready here's what he says here's 10 things real quick that he says you're children of god you're holy you're saints you're chosen you might say i don't feel very holy i don't feel much like a saint it doesn't matter what you feel like it doesn't matter what the empirical evidence on the outside is this is what god says you are now you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you are. You are aliens in this world. Not aliens like over in Roswell, okay? Not like that, don't get confused. I don't want to mess anybody up here. Not like that, but that your home is not here. You don't belong here. That's how you are. Not, not later when Jesus comes back, then I'll not belong here, I'll belong in heaven. No, now. You're just passing through. Who are you? You're a new creation. Who are you? You're the body of Christ. Who are you? You're fellow heirs with Jesus. These are all things that are saying, that Jesus is saying, this is who you are right now if you're a follower of Christ. Here's a few more. You're salt and light. He doesn't say try to be salt and light. Work harder to be brighter. He doesn't say that. He just says this is what you are. Believe it. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're representing him here on this earth. You are not condemned. How much condemn condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus? None. Zero. Nada. You are the temple of God. You say, man, I don't know if I could really be a temple. I mean, could God live inside of me? Yeah, he says that's what you are. 
And the Bible says he started a good work in you, and guess what he's going to do? He is faithful to finish it. It may be hard for you to believe these things about yourself. Because like those lepers, you look and you're like, I'm, I'm still kind of not really cleaned up yet. You think any of those ten lepers might have been tempted to say that? I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I'm clean. I, I don't know. I don't know if I should go or not. I like the, the story about a family who went to a baby dedication. They had a little bitty baby and they took it to church and they had a baby dedication and prayed over the child and prayed that, uh, similar in some ways to what, what Sarah was just saying, they kind of dedicated the child's future, you know, to say, let's, let's raise this child to follow God. On the way home, the older brother who was in grade school started crying and he began to sob uncontrollably and the dad was concerned, what is wrong? He asked him three times, son, what is the matter? Finally, the boy composed himself enough to say, that preacher up there said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home. And his dad said, yeah, well, duh. I mean, we're at church, of course he did. And the kid said, I wanted to stay with you guys. Yeah. See, we're kind of like that sometimes, aren't we? We think, well, if I'm performing well, then I'm a Christian. If I'm not performing well, I must not be a, good, I must not be a Christian. I'm not. See, that, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is that he has done the work for you. Believe it and walk that way. Believe it and begin from the inside out to move that direction, just like these ten lepers. Go. You're cleansed. Walk. We need to stop putting our faith in our efforts and our works and put our hope in God's word. If he says that is what you are, then have faith that he knows what he's talking about and walk that direction. Live that way. Believe what God has said about you and the inside. Believe it, that what he said about the inside and it'll begin to change your behavior on the outside. This is what he said these 10 things we just looked at, at least those many, that many of things that he said about who you are, followers of Jesus Christ. Third and last point, Jesus has more to offer us than we ask for. They all asked to be healed, and he gave them what they asked for, and then they left. But the Samaritan comes back, and he is, Jesus said, made well. Go, your faith has made you well. Hold on a second. I thought he was already healed. He came back to say thank because he was healed. And he says, now go. Your faith has made you well. That word in the original language, made well, is the same, language, the same word that's used oftentimes for the word salvation. As a matter of fact, it's going to be used in our text next week, Luke 19, when we talk about Zacchaeus, when Jesus says salvation has come to this house. See, by coming back to Jesus this man is receiving more of what Jesus has to offer. I mean, there's initial healing, but do you want to quit there? Do you want to just stop with what you've asked for initially? If so, you're missing out on the abundant life. I wonder what you started with. Maybe first you came to Christ and said, I need help with my marriage. I'm having problems. Or maybe, man, my teens are a mess. I need some help. I need some God to... To, to help me with that. Maybe it was your body. God, please heal me. Maybe you wanted him to take away an addiction. Maybe it was to get your temper under control. Maybe you wanted help to learn how to get along with the people around you, or you asked him to change your words. You couldn't control. You were a liar or a gossip, and you just couldn't control what you were saying. And initially, you came to God, and you said, God, I need some help. 
Whatever you asked for at the beginning, I want to tell you this, there is more. There is always more with God. And most importantly, what he wants to give you is forgiveness of your sins. He wants to give you a gift. Every single person, he wants to give you a gift of eternal life. God wants you to have that gift. It's the biggest reason to come to him. And that's what this Samaritan got when he came back to thank Jesus for the first thing he gave. It's a mistake to ever quit coming back to Jesus. It's a mistake to ever think, well, I've kind of got enough. I know enough. I've grown enough. I'm finished. I'll just sit in church and I'll just go through the rest of my life. That is a horrible mistake to make. It's a horrible mistake to not keep coming back and back and back to God because what Jesus has to offer is abundant life, more than you have right now, always, always, always. We have to finish by recognizing what Luke recognizes. He doesn't just tell a story about 10 people and there was one guy who came back. He doesn't say that. He said there was a Samaritan who came back. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we don't use the word Samaritan very much except we say like the Good Samaritan Hospital or something and we think Samaritan must be a good thing. Wrong. To the Jews, Samaritan is not a good thing. Samaritan is their enemy. Samaritan is the the Samaritans are the people they hate. Samaritans are the people that are the scum of the earth. Now that's a whole other lesson that you, maybe some of you know about and some of you may not know about and maybe we can talk about it sometime. But there's a whole history about why the Jews hated Samaritans. This is radical that Luke is saying the hero of the story, the person you should be like is the scum of the earth. He's the worst person possible. That's who you need to be like. And Luke does this over and over and over. In Luke's gospel, the bad guys are welcome in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus says in chapter 5 of Luke, verse 31, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to change their life. And so as we come to the end of this lesson, I just want to say this. Do you see yourself as one of the bad guys? perfect perfect that's who jesus came to save that's who he can work with so you come today and you let him heal you from the inside out let's stand and let's sing over all the earth you reign on high every mountain stream